Welcome to the Marketing Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Barker. I've been chatting with Francis B., the founder and managing director of Eleven International. In the last episode, we discussed cross-cultural marketing. His agency specializes in it, so let's find out more about what kind of work they do. Well, that's that's crazy. So when we talk about, like, I want to talk a little bit about, like, the strategies and, like, the, the different things that you guys do. So when we talk about strategies, like, what are some of the strategies you guys use to improve, like, your client's digital communication, right? Because that's obviously what you're doing here is you're trying to communicate a message, a message you guys put together for your client in, in certain uh, areas of the world. And then what are some of the things, what are the strategies that you guys use, like, when you when you come with that messaging? Yeah, so actually, this is one of the things that we tend to spend a lot of time on and uh, educating our, our clients, um, because it is quite um, different for them. You know, for instance, when we're doing like uh, uh, PR, um, they come from the point of view of, oh, you know, you can just write whatever you want, and then just ship <laughs> it off to the journalists, and they'll just cover it. Um, or they'll just, you know, copy and paste what you do. Um, and that can be applicable actually into the, in the China market, but obviously in the States, you know, you come from a very different point of view of, uh, you know, as a journalist, uh, ex journalist or a blogger as myself, um, you know, you want the best stories, uh, obviously that kind of also, um, helps your <laughs> personal career as well. Sure. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, like for us. Uh, we do spend quite a bit of time because you get companies, uh, the ones that we've worked with, um, a lot of a lot of them are in like AI, robotics, and uh, blockchain, uh, and we get companies that are you know apps as well, and um, uh, you know a lot of them, frankly speaking, at the end of the day, they kind of have when they approach you, they kind of have a very similar story. They're like, oh, you know, we have the best technology, and then you know they they throw a bunch of, you know, jargon at you <laughs> saying, yeah. oh, because of this, like, for instance, we have the best slam algorithm. Um, we, we use federated learning in a way that no one else has. But like at the end of the day, when you listen to that, it's like, you know, what's the value that you get out of that as a normal person, like uh, yeah. the end user, right? Because people usually are quite <clears throat> scared of things that they don't know or they fear. Yeah. And even the journalists themselves, you know, obviously they're, you know, they're coming in and with an objective point of view. Um, but at the same time, you know, actually most of the time you're, you have to kind of educate the journalists as well to the details. And so sort of where we come in is that we try to distill that information by focusing on sort of some specific details that we uh, believe will actually be applicable to the journalists, whether it's applicable to society, because ultimately they're you know, they're looking to um, communicate a message or, you know, in their writing to, to end users, which is, you know, normal people like you and I. Um, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, like we essentially at the end of the day, help them try to uh, help them by sort of uh, thinking about this uh, approach, like a Trojan horse. And the reason I say that is um, oftentimes right now, um, you know, even if you have all this technology, uh, frankly speaking, you know, the things that the CEO thinks are really exciting, a lot of the times we find isn't as exciting as they think it is. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so, you know, we, we try to kind of approach this from a more human level. So, you know, I just, I just kind of pointed out how does this help society as a question, like that question. Um, that is actually a legitimate question that I ask a lot of our clients because they need to think of this not from an en pure engineering point of view. You know, even if you have great teams, how do you really defend that? Are you, um, are you backed by, you know, like the BATs, which is the Baidu, Ali, Tencent, or are you backed by the FANG, like uh, Facebook, what is it? 
um, Facebook, uh, Amazon, Google, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you backed by like major VCs, you know, like A16Z, um, you know, what's your background like, you know, because like when you, when, when, especially like with blockchain companies, for example, they always talk about um, how amazing their team is a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the companies that we talk to in the blockchain space, they always bring up their team as the first thing. But if you're listening to that as a journalist, you're thinking, so what? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you, you hear they get, you know, dozens or hundreds of emails a day from blockchain companies saying exactly the same thing. Is anybody yeah. going to really, that's the problem that you have to solve. Um, and you can't pay your way out of that uh, in many cases. So um, yeah, we, we really try to help craft and hone that message and distill that message because I always tell my clients, no matter how good of a friend you are with the journalist, um, you know, I, I do have great, uh, some great friends who are uh, journalists as well at some major publications, but you know, there are plenty of times where they, where they don't think it's relevant to them. They just tell me straight up. Um, and then they, you know, tell me, unfortunately, you know, for X, Y, Z reasons, it's not the best fit for me. Um, you know, just because I'm friends with them doesn't guarantee yeah, that they'll sort of get that story they, that they want. Yeah. They've got to put their name on it. That makes sense. I, I think that's the thing is that even, even though you, you have, you know, friends that are journalists, they have to put their name on it. And so if they have to put their name on it, it's gotta be something that's good, right? Whether you're friends or not. So, that makes sense. So what are some of like the most common mistakes that you see brands making when it comes to strategic communication? I mean, there's some things that, that you say, man, this seems to happen all the time. Like other than blockchain companies saying they have the best team in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean like, you know, uh, kind of going back to the Trojan, um, uh, like the Trojan horse example, you know, they want to talk about a lot of different uh, technologies that they're able to offer, but you know, how does it affect me? Like, you know, if you're doing, for example, uh, federated learning, federated learning is sort of the ability to be able to um, uh, do an analysis on data sets that actually you are not, um, uh, you're not able to actually see. So it's sort of like what I call blind data per se. Um, there's a way where you can actually submit data where the central location isn't actually able to see exactly what that data is. Maybe it has to do with people's, uh, you know, like private data, for example. Obviously, you don't want that to be revealed to random parties, even if they're yeah. a potential partner, right? But, you know, yeah. technology like that, you, you know, if you just say things like federated learning, people are just like, what? <laughs> um, and so you have to kind of make sure that it's applied uh, directly to the um, uh, end user in a way that they can quite they can understand. Um, and actually, to be honest, it, that uh, is a major mistake that I often see because they always want to talk about I can do X, Y, Z. In reality, like you know, bringing up that Trojan horse example, it actually just takes uh, you know maybe X in a way that's applicable to the you know, end user or, or things that are happening in society today. And you can always um, you know, get your foot in the door with the journalist. And when you have the interview with the journalist, you can always uh, you know, kind of unload the rest of the things that you, your heart desires to talk about. <laughs> yeah, make it applicable to curtain things yeah. that are going on that, that the common person can chew on and understand. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, to be honest, it's easier said than done, though. I mean, it, it seems a bit basic, but like when you actually ask those questions, you end up seeing the uh, CEOs kind of like just sit there and think about, you know, really, h- how is this really, you know, helping people? Because a lot of them, especially sort of like more of the engineering background CEOs, they, 
tend to just want to solve a problem and that problem is not necessarily a societal problem (laughs) it's just their personal intrigue in solving a really hard technical problem and that's actually really really cool yeah i could understand that because you know i'm engineers and and they think a certain way right and it becomes a little more difficult for them to understand it's like listen i think there's this big problem we have this solution why wouldn't everybody want to hear about it it's like well but maybe people don't understand there's that problem right or maybe they don't understand exactly what that problem is you get it because you've developed it and you're in the middle of it so it's difficult and i think that's where an agency like yourself comes in and that's where it's helpful right to better and for them to better put some a different set of lenses on it or have you guys come in from a different angle and say listen i get what you're trying to say but the public doesn't care right we, we got to figure out exactly. how to spin this thing and, and make it so that that i have a journalist that goes oh that's interesting because it ties into this current event that's happening right and then that's the foot in the door and then you can talk about some of the other fun features and other great stuff that you have going on but like how do we get in the door because once again as you pointed right. out i mean journalists get how many emails on a daily basis i mean how many emails did you get on a daily weekly basis of just people pitching about, you all the time i'd say about 50 you know i'm sure like yeah, the I new mean, york times and stuff like that get 100 maybe 200 300 <laughs> think so about i mean that. like yeah. you got to be good you got to come in with something hot you can't come in with something stupid <laughs> exactly i mean so, like you know i've i've had companies want to you know talk about their product you know like for example a company that i just talked to recently they want to launch a battery pack or a, a sorry a battery charger um, and it's wireless and they think it's the next best thing since sliced bread and, you know, it's just a charger. At the same time, nobody has actually heard of the company because they haven't even put any effort into sort of building their corporate brand as well. And so mm-hmm. they're, they're thinking, and also, you know, their Kickstarter itself didn't raise a whole ton, even though the company itself is actually rather large. Um, it's well known with locally, uh, but, it, you know, it's kind of a ghost outside of, um, outside yeah. of China. Local. Um, yeah. And yeah, and so... Uh, yeah, so I mean, like, you know, and having these conversations are like, oh, you know, this is an amazing product. Um, and, and I'm just thinking, you know, it's, it's a battery charger. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing too sexy about that, right? You're like, hey, I got this battery charger. And they're like, this is what you're pitching yeah, is mean, a battery like, charger? Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, and then they're like, oh, you know, we want this. Uh, we want this in like, you know, the New York Times or like, you know, uh, we want this in like uh, CNET and publications, right? But problem is they have to kind of understand the step-by-step process in being able to be able to distill that message in a way that's reson that resonates and just going off by saying oh we have this great battery charges and just isn't going to do it yeah you know, our not, approach not is sexy to make impression um for the journalists and you know one of the things that they have going you know they do have some great things going for them actually um but those those are but those are a bit more on the corporate side so there's ways to kind of integrate both sort of the product and the corporate and this is actually even stuff that we did for Castbox as well so like for example we um launched their product in conjunction with their fundraising and also the founder story and kind of going back to how um how we um positioned the ceo as sort of you know coming from not uh, not much per se uh mm-hmm. to to where she is now so yeah. those are sort of a lot of the elements that we've um, implemented and be able to make sure that you know you get this like you know really great message in the beginning that makes an impact and you know does get um a, you know quite a decent amount of coverage and that will help kind of propel things in the future but then if you're kind of starting off on a crutch you're always going to be on a crutch yeah. No, I hear you. So who is your, I mean, when we talk about client success and the things that you guys have done, obviously you have CastBox, sounds like a huge success. Do you have anybody else you guys have worked with that's been a big client that you guys phenomenal success with? 
Yeah, um, one of the clients uh, I think right now, uh, uh, there's a few actually. So there's one called the Kobo Wallet. They're uh, one of the mo most popular uh, uh, wallets in sort of the crypto space. Um, it's it's kind of boring actually, but um, in addition to that, we've worked with a company called ForwardX. Um, they were actually a suitcase that would follow you around. They weren't the first, but we had to do quite a bit of repositioning and rethinking how that product works and how it's kind of um, useful at the time it was launched. Um, yeah. uh, and then actually the most popular, I think, uh, in recently for us uh, has been Enreal. So <clears throat> Enreal is, uh, they're augmented reality glasses, or actually I should call it magic uh mixed reality glasses, similar to like um, what you might find from Magic Leap or, or uh, Microsoft HoloLens. Um, okay. We've been working with them for almost two years. Um, so initially when, uh, you know, we, we also had to do quite a bit uh, of work with them in, in helping them to kind of understand what the product, uh, what value the product offers. Um, because originally, you know, the uh, executives, wanted to kind of keep it open-ended so that it's not necessarily uh, consumer-facing mixed reality glasses um, and kind of keep the doors open for potential um, business opportunities, uh, meaning sort of on the enterprise side. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when we're looking at the form factor for that device, um, it's very compact. It looks like sunglasses as well. Um, and, you know, we realized that we could try to really hone in and craft that message and sell sort of that more consumer facing story because at the end of the day the enterprise market is still always there you know if you yeah. have a really hot product you know at ces you find a lot of enterprise companies just approaching you and so to to a large degree it's a low-hanging fruit it seems obvious now like in but in but um in hindsight but um you know back then it wasn't so obvious you're starting up with this product they just kind of hand it to you and they're like what should we do with it <laughs> but now, um, after building, helping them build that brand over the course of um, two years, uh, close to two years, I guess, um, they're now, uh, when people talk about mixed reality glasses, they talk about Unreal, uh, Magic Leap, and HoloLens. So it's in, in that nice. category. Put them on the map. That's beautiful. That's what you guys do. So how would you, when you talk about brand consulting, when we talk about like startups versus established brand, is it sometimes better to work with startups because startups, you know, don't have the foundation. You kind of have a, a whole thing to work with and you can kind of dig them from the ground up. Or sometimes when you have an established brand, sometimes you have to redo some stuff. You're like, oh shoot, we got long years of things you did wrong. We got to reestablish that. What's, what's easier to work with? Oh, huh. You know, like, to be what, honest, you know, we've yeah, worked with companies like, um, so we have worked with larger companies. Like uh, there's a, uh, you know, obviously there's um, uh, the largest, well, actually before TikTok came around, but um, there's a company called Show. They're, um, they're also a live streaming company. They've been around for a while. Um, and then we've also worked with uh, Opal, which is um, actually some we're, we're working with right now as well. Um, they're, they're, uh, one of the larger smartphone brands uh, in mm -hmm. the world. Uh, mm -hmm. We've worked with uh, Alibaba as well. Um, and also we do some work with TikTok as well right now. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you know, when you deal with the larger companies, um, frankly speaking, you're just kind of <laughs> one one vendor out of like the several dozens that you're working with. So 
Um, and then, you know, it's, it's a lot more complicated because you're, you're kind of working on a really small piece of the bigger picture. And, um, gotcha. and for me personally, you know, it, it's, it's great, obviously. You're like, you know, you're working with larger brands, but to some degree, it's not as fulfilling personally. <laughs> yeah. So um, at the same time, startups, um, a lot of the startups where we work with, um, you know, they're VC back, they have great backgrounds, but, you know, they're not necessarily marketing uh, minded or um, they may be, but they don't really know how to execute. But actually, it's it's a really good problem to have because when you're starting off from scratch, you, you're kind of going from nothing, um, yeah. and you can kind of uh, craft it, craft their story in a way that you know, based on your professional experience, would help them stand out without any baggage. You know, when yeah. you're dealing with these other larger companies, you know, there's a lot of baggage. You're dealing with the politics of it all as well, um, and you know, the the impact that you have, frankly speaking, is really minimal. <laughs> Yeah. And I can understand that, right? With the startup, it's like, you can say, Hey, I work with that startup. We've been doing the things for the last two years and this is what we built. When you work with a big company, they can go, well, there was seven companies like mine. I did, I was a part of it, but it's like, at what point can you claim, right? Because there's like other people involved and other people doing stuff. So like not quite the, as you said, fulfilling, I think uh, with the startup that you can once again, put your stamp on and say, Hey, that was us. Like that was 100% us. We did that. Obviously I think it's a lot more fulfilling. On that note, it's time to wrap up this segment of the Marketing Growth Podcast. Thank you, Francis. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. I still have tons of questions about PR and digital communication. We'll talk about them in detail in the next episode. Before I sign off, I want to remind you that you can get in touch with my team at shanebarker.com to grow your business via content marketing, SEO, influencer marketing, and social media marketing. All right, then. See you soon with another interesting conversation. Stay tuned to the Marketing Growth Podcast. Podcast.